Yes, yes, yes. Hey, Kara. Whoa. <laughs> welcome, welcome. We are right in the middle of our 30 day toking the ghost challenge. Fringe Christianity, if that's what you want to call it. If you want to call it fringe believers, fringe Christianity, I'd say, that's fine. As long as you mean Deuteronomy 22, verse 12. Fringe. Thou shalt make thee fringes oh, upon the four quarters of thy vesture wherewith thou coverest thyself. What vesture? What garment of the four quarters of a garment of light? The seven heavens? If you want to call that fringe Christianity, that's the one for me. And I believe... As you're tuning in, it's the one for you. Hallelujah. Interestingly enough about these fringes, these quarters, these four quarters, second chronic, I mean, excuse me, second chronicles, 34.22, the second quarter is the keeper of the wardrobe. Isn't that interesting? Four quarters? Well, it came to my attention. How did the Chiefs win the Super Bowl? You know, they won it in the fourth quarter. Mm. They won it in the fourth quarter by Serpent Wisdom. I watched some of the replays. Do you guys ever think about that game? Did you watch that game? Raise your hand if you watched the, or you watched or rewatched that game. I'm having a Super Bowl right now. The <laughs> supernatural bowl <laughs> of wisdom. Amen. I inhale your word of wisdom. It is written. Down to the fourth quarter, man. Victory in the fourth. The sacrifice was to be cut in quarters, it says too in Leviticus. Oh, they got it by serpent wisdom. <laughs> I saw they were faking them out. They faked them out so good, cunningly, deceitfully, treacherously, as D Jacob dealt treacherously with Esau. That is how the chief apostles dealt with the eagles. Hallelujah. Oh, well, we don't step on too many talons, I mean toes tonight, but the chronic, it is it chronicles. It's a great book of the Bible. Leviticus says, for fringe and Christians. the eagles are unclean to you. <laughs> Take that, false prophets. Oh, hallelujah. Well, unclean. If you check and see in the chronic, <laughs> First Chronicles nine twenty four, in four quarters were the doorkeepers, toward the east, west, north, and south. Fringe Christians, huh? Thou shalt make thee fringes upon the four quarters of thy vesture, wherewith thou coverest thyself. Hallelujah. Well. There's a doctrine of the glorious freedom of the Son of God. It's a type of interpretation that uses the glory cloud and the realm of heaven where the angels dwell. So you begin to see, hear, read, understand everything completely differently. As it is written, my ways of interpretation are higher than your ways. So we want to get high and learn his high ways. You'll find that they're full of grace, they're full of joy. 
he endured and all the shame and the suffering and the scorning and entered the joy that we might enter the joy you know the glory of the father is called in hebrews joy it's not like some super mystical thing it's just getting happy you could say jesus got happy simple it's a level of happiness unknown to human beings but known to those who rise from the dead amen you know you can be perfectly happy every day because you got jesus's happiness emanating from inside your heart there's a place of connecting your brain to the victories of christ it's called the new covenant People say it's fringe to be in the joy so strongly that you're drunk and you're high and having all this freedom stuff. I tell you what, it might be fringe because we've been so freaking religious in the mm -hmm. devil. <laughs> A lot of them, are. I notice, are the sipping saints. They'll be sipping on alcohol oh, yeah. and think that we're on drugs. Exactly. What kind of hypocrisy is that? It's like because you don't make the glory of God your drugs... You're persecuted. I wake up to hate speech, hate mail, attack, slander, gossip, and text message and email almost every day of my life. Hatred from born-again believers since I've been in full-time ministry. And it even astonishes me today. It's just how much people actually <laughs> hate God and heaven and joy and glory. And I, th I thought about these things. I've never <laughs> sinned against these people. Why such an animated hatred towards me and Red Letter Ministries. I still, when I wake up and deal with this stuff every single day of my life, wonder why are they so opposed to RLM? You ever think about that? Like, what did we ever do to them other than go into heaven and try to bring them into heaven? Have we ever done anything else? We oppose demons. You know what the answer is? Demons hate God. It all boils down to demons hate God, and God is not going to allow demons into heaven ever again. Therefore, they are totally raging, pissed off at anyone that goes into heaven or enters the joy. So if you have those standards of the flashing sword and the cherubim of the glory guarding the gates of heaven and the Garden of Eden, they're going to hate you too. Matthew chapter 5. <clears throat> Which means... No one who's a people pleaser can ever enter heaven. You're going to have to deal with persecution. You're going to have to deal with misunderstanding, hatred from demon-possessed, self-righteous, religious people. They're going to hate your guts just like they hated Jesus. I tell you what, endure to the end and I will give you the conqueror's crown of life. It's a higher realm above the strife, even with the devil's wife hallelujah even dracula's Amen. wife <laughs> wait oh no who bound her into chains and threw her in the lake of fire that's right i like this verse that says you'll have peace even with your enemies it reminds me and honestly i'm not there yet because i don't have peace with my enemies they rage against me every day but i want to get to the place where they're so far under my feet that i have peace even with my enemies you know, I believe that's the lake of fire. I believe they'll still be conscious. I, be, I believe they'll be aware. And I, I believe you'll be able to see them. 
they'll be able to hear you, but you'll have peace with them because they're burning under your feet. People have all kinds of religious understanding about all that. I'm just saying we need to ascend to a place where there's a peace that has crushed Satan and anyone used of Satan underfoot. That's where we're going. So since we've dealt with nonstop warfare our entire lives since birth, I think the greatest blessing coming forth now is the angel of peace. I notice in studying the mystics like Enoch, they come to a place in Christ that they call the place of the angel of peace. I believe that's the place where the sinners, the wicked, the sorcerers, Cain's bloodline that was on the earth in the days of Enoch, it was so far underneath Enoch that he dwelt perfectly in peace over them. Hallelujah. <laughs> Let it be some motivation to rise in your inner man. It motivates me to go higher. I know Bob Jones would always say, persecution helps you go higher because you don't like being constantly attacked at your current elevations. It means that there's still a higher realm of peace that you've never walked in before. And if you're not attacked, you're in cahoots with the devil. If you're not in a warfare and not wrestling demons, as it is written in Scripture, we wrestle not only with flesh and blood, but with principalities, powers, thrones, and dominions of wickedness, which means if you are not engaged in combat against an adversary, you're not in the army of God, which means repent and get in the army of God and start fighting an actual enemy that's killing the human race. See, the Laodicean curse doesn't put you at enmity toward the serpent. It's a good thing. There's a good enmity. There's an enmity towards the Holy Spirit when you're carnally minded, but there's an enmity towards the serpent, the devil, his words, his actions, his ways, his thoughts. That enmity is the good Christian warfare. Enmity means to make war. There is a a wrestling against that entire realm, that entire substance that's darkness, that we wrestle against as we go through it. As we go through the valley of the shadow of death, which is like these black stones. It's black earth, it's black moon, black sun, black Venus, black Sephiroth, the black sorcery of the abuse of the heavenly angelic spheres of the fallen angels of what they've used to rule over the human race since the fall of Adam and Eve. This whole realm is what you're wrestling through. You will go through it, which means you have to be brave and courageous to get any progress in Christ. There will be violence. The righteous suffer violence, and it's violently and forcefully advanced through the vicious violence of Holy Spirit working inside you against everything that's in the world. Everything. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Especially war against the good. You'll find as you grow in wisdom, the main enemy that you have is that which has the appearance of good. That which has the sound of good. The religious goodness is the main thing shutting you down from having the Holy Spirit pour forth through you like a furnace. Like the wrath of the Lamb. I believe the promised land is the equivalent of the wrath of the Lamb towards death. And until you see it coming out your five physical senses, 
like a temple of rivers, we have higher heights of pouring out greater torrents of living waters towards enemies that are killing us, stealing from us, and destroying us because of a lack of resurrection or dependence on the person of Jesus working in the inner man. I want to know the resurrection. That's what Philippians chapter 3 is, that the entire purpose of Paul's ministry and three quarters of the New Testament, if you read it, is to know the resurrection, which means to go into heights that you're not currently in. That's what Paul says the meaning of his apostolic ministry in the writing of the New Testament is for. Christianity, the purpose of Christianity is to know the resurrection. Don't say no Jesus. That's some religious garbage. Know the heights of the resurrection, which is the actual knowledge of Jesus Christ because he's raised from the dead. Knowing Jesus down here on the earth is like knowing religious demons. That's what's wrong with everyone. You can't know him unless you rise with him. My thoughts are higher. So an intimacy with his thoughts requires an elevation of the Bible prescribing getting high. Getting into the cloud that was only resting where? On the top of the mountain. Which I believe represents going from the moon into the sun. Which means people that think they have the knowledge of the glory, they might have tasted it. There's a down payment of the spirit of glory at conception. You can be born in the glory cloud, but the cloud moved in the exodus, didn't it? So it's the same glory cloud, it's the same God, but you're moving and you're walking in the cloud. You lay in the spirit, now walk in the spirit, then learn to fly in the spirit, ascend in the spirit. It is written, glory to glory is learning how to function in the movements of the spirit and not getting stuck in a rut as a know-it-all from your previous experiences. You could be born in the throne room of God, but since you have a body on earth, you have a long way to rise. Because the promised land is taking your physical bodies up into heaven. Philippians chapter 3. Read it yesterday. Mm. Kind of want to read it today in the message translation. That sounds nice. Here we are. <laughs> to know him personally. That's about it, friends. Be glad in God. I don't, rem I don't mind repeating what I have written in earlier letters, and I hope you don't mind hearing it again. We love to hear the chronic. <laughs> Better safe than sorry, so here it goes. Steer clear of the barking dogs, those religious busybodies. All bark and no bite. All they're interested in is appearances, knife-happy circumcisers, I call them. <laughs> the real believers are the ones the Spirit of God leads to work away at this ministry. Knife-happy circumcisers. That's funny. Filling the air with Christ's praise as we do it. Spirit-led, taking the air. This is good stuff here. We couldn't carry this off by our own efforts, and we know it. Even though we can list what many might think are impressive credentials. Credentials. You know my pedigree. A legitimate birth. Like a dog pedigree. Circumcised on the eighth day, an Israelite from the elite tribe of Benjamin. A strict and, a, and devout adherent tribe. to God's law. A fiery defender of the purity of my religion. 
even to the point of persecuting the church, a meticulous observer of everything set down in God's law book. The very credentials these people are waving around as something special, I'm tearing up and throwing it out with the trash. Hallelujah. That's what it says. Along with everything else I used to take credit for, glory, and why? Because of Christ. <laughs> you know what that tearing it up and throwing it in the trash is? Human Christianity. Yes, all the things I once thought were so important are gone from my life compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master. Firsthand, everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant. Dog dung. That's what it says. Dog dung. I've dumped it all in the trash so that I could embrace Christ and be embraced by Him. I didn't want some petty inferior brand of righteousness that comes from keeping a list of rules when I could get the robust kind that comes from trusting God, God's righteousness. I gave up all that inferior stuff so I could know Christ personally. <laughs> Experience his resurrection power. Be a partner in his suffering. And go all the way with him to death itself. If there was any way to get in on the resurrection from the dead, I wanted to do it. I'm not saying that I have this all together or that I have made it already, but I am well on my way, reaching out for Christ, who has so wondrously reached out for me. Friends, don't get me wrong, by no means do I count myself an expert in all of this, but I've got my eye on the goal, where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm off and running, and I'm not turning back. So let's keep focused on that goal. Focused! Those of us who want everything God has for us. Focus. If any of you have something else in mind, something <laughs> yeah, you less do. than total Yeah, you do. <laughs> Just admit it. You do. <laughs> Conviction. Never felt so good before. <laughs> if any of you have something else in mind... Something less than total commitment. My perfect clean house. A better job. Money. Can God I really tie it to all those orphans? That's a lot vision. of orphans. <laughs> You'll see it yet. Now that we're on the right track, let's stay on it. Stick with me, friends. Keep track of those you see running the same course, headed for the same goal. Yeah. There are many out there taking other paths, choosing other goals, and trying to get you to go along with them. Oh, Woo! temptation. I've warned you of them many times. Peer pressure. Sadly, I'm having to do it again. Esoteric sounding 
online ministries that sound somewhat similar and I'm looking for more information than what you've already given us so far. They want it <laughs> on Easy Street. <laughs> they hate Christ's cross. But Easy Street is a dead-end street. Those who live there make their bellies their gods. Belches. <laughs> burping. Their praise. All they can think of is their carnal appetites. But there's far more to life for us. We're citizens of the Arabas. High heavens. Citizens of the high heavens. Citizens of the Arabas. Citizens of the seventh heaven. Citizens of the seventh heaven, glory. Doesn't that sound Amen. wonderful? <laughs> We're waiting the arrival of the Savior, the Master, Jesus Christ. Revelations of the Master Class of Jesus Christ, oh. who will transform our earthly bodies into glorious bodies like His own. He'll make us beautiful and whole with the same powerful skill by which He is putting everything as it should be under and around him. That's that peace. Putting everything under him. What's the promised land? The whole universe under him and you in him over the universe. That's what we ascend to. That's the resurrection. Philippians 3 is a description of experiencing the resurrection. You get your celestial body. Your transfigured body, your immortal body. Mortality puts on immortality, glory to glory, sharing in that everlasting life, learning the knowledge of eternal life. Studying Jasher 3 this week, interesting, Enoch taught everlasting life. You know what he was teaching? How to never die why people were living 700, 800, 900 years. That's a teaching. Understanding why the earth had such incredible fruitfulness, like the Garden of Eden and the whole earth before the flood, was a teaching. It's a knowledge. There's an angelic knowledge that restores all things. There's a teaching understanding of the angels that has yet to come forth and come down and be accepted by the Christians that will raise the Christians up and restore the universe not to its original glory. That's not biblical. To seven times greater glory than the original creation. That's biblical. If a thief be caught stealing, he must pay back sevenfold. Bible says ever-increasing glory. So it's not the same glory as the original creation. It's a seven times greater glory that's going to come forth. That's why the Lord as wisdom rebuked um, Rick Joyner when he was in the vision of when he started asking, getting curious about the first heaven. And it kind of got cold and dark and he shuddered a little bit. And then he said, it's wisdom not to ask about that right now. Uh, based on, you know, where he's at, the Lord unveils things at a certain time. He does talk about those things. But it's because the reason why he rebuked him in that and why he does that with people often is you want just enough revelation of what used to be to encourage you. But like Brandon said, we're going somewhere better. Better than what was. 
He who is to come, who was and who is and who is to come. There's a better glory coming forth. He wants us to stop looking behind, looking back. If only Adam and Eve hadn't sinned. Look at all the stuff we missed out on. Look how much better it was back then. Oh, it's just all just a bunch of crap now. He wants us to terraform the earth through obedience to the living word of God. To the Torah made flesh the within us. The future is brighter than the perfect past. Amen. That's a crazy truth in scripture. The future of the believer is brighter than the perfect past. And that's true about your personal life as an individual as well. So the Lord is asking many of you to stop looking back. Maybe you had like a really powerful encounter or conversion or something in your past that was, you look at that in your life as like, that was the best. Proverbs that, says your future is filled with bright hope. Bright hope, seven times brighter. And that's true for you if you learn the new Torah of Jesus Christ to abide in him and he abides in you, his word in you, alive and active, walking in it, walking in obedience, not sacrifice, forsaking the panic and the anxieties and the stirring of the human nature, worrying about this person and that person and this past and this situation. I mean, you could have all of Egypt on your tail looking like certain death with nowhere to run and God just parts the waters. <laughs> Look, there you go. There you go. It's an easy thing for God to give you a way out. But sometimes there's a situation that you might be in and he's not necessarily looking to give you a way out. You're looking for a way out. He's looking to prune and change the behavior of the individual. That inner work of the transformation of our inner man is more important to him than the things that go on in the exterior life. For God is known, it is written in the Psalms. Where? How? He is known, yada, to yada him. What is it? It says he's known within the palaces. Did you know the interior castles correspond with your journey upwards in sapphire stones? If you must first seek the inner powers of the soul to be cleansed and to be used and focused and honed, to seek him, not just to keep staring at the nice, clean sparkliness of your newfound interior mansions, but to use them. What are the gifts? Not just to stare at the sparkling. Don't stare at the wine as it sparkles in the cup, it is written. Why is that? What are you looking at or for apart from him? Even every good thing from him. What are you going to use the grace given you for? Grace to rise. Grace to do the works of the Father. Grace to seek and save the lost, not in the traditions of man, in our own ideas of what's going to be. Because the truth is, the day will be coming where the wicked will be no more. You will not find them. Not because by some miracle they're suddenly not wicked anymore, but only those who choose 
consciously to receive Christ as the Savior, his true form himself will remain. The wicked will be removed permanently. And that's how it is. So what are you going to do with the life that you've been given? Continue on in madness towards some false revelations, false agendas for something God has no interest in partaking in? Waste another year, another few days, another few months? Waste our lives on partial truths that we treasure and cherish? Or dash them to pieces? and seek his true word and will and carry out those deeds through this earthen vessel that you've been given to live in, to dwell in. Whose tent, whose dwelling, whose tabernacle are you living in? Who is the master of your house? Choose this day. Whom you will serve. (laughs) Who becomes a master of a house? What does the word of God say? That whoever you choose to listen to becomes the master. If you choose sin, it becomes your master. Grace, it is written, gives you the freedom. All grace is is simply this. The freedom to choose your master. But choose carefully because the one that you choose to serve becomes the master of the house. So grace, as grace abounds, understand it's not just, oh, everything is just done and I can just go into autopilot. Now I can just, whatever happens because grace abounds, and then continue perishing for lack of understanding, lack of knowledge, lack of revelation knowledge. Whenever grace abounds, tread cautiously, walk and work out that salvation fearfully before the Lord understanding that grace has now given you where there's grace present active you have a choice to sin or not sin so you walk in the awe and fear of the lord and you say this day i've i've been given this grace i've received grace to choose and if you choose the impulse of the flesh it will lead you to death But in that moment, when you've been given grace to choose your master, which is what the word of God says that it is, and you choose God that time. In that area of your life, congratulations, God is now the master of your life. That's how he's leading you out of the valley of decision, deciding one day at a time, each encounter and confrontation. And each time grace gives you the ability to choose, You must choose the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, the very image of the Father. And as you faithfully choose Him, as He gives you the grace, He begins to trust you with more of the things of heaven because you are becoming one who is not abusing great grace, but using it to rise, which is to overcome all sin in your life. Even down to the smallest refinements. And each mistake can be 
worth wisdom if there is true sorrow and repentance for each mistake. Upon the realization in soul that you chose the enemy, if you repent and you're truly sorrowful in your heart and you confess that sin, the blood of Jesus atones and grace abounds for you to have another chance the next time you're confronted with a choice, an option to choose, to sin or to follow Christ, to follow the Holy Spirit. And so after that repentance, then comes the next confrontation with that sin. Heaven and hell are waiting to see who will you choose? Who's going to be the master of that house, that room in your house of your soul? And so what do you do? Allow him to break you, let it break you. Rend your heart and not your garment. And that grace will allow you to find the way out each and every time. Otherwise, 1 Corinthians is a lie. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, he promises to give you a way out. He promises to show you the way out of temptation every time. Which means, if any temptation comes to you, guaranteed, at that moment, you're not helpless, but the answer is present with you in that moment every time. He only gives you, or only allows you to be tested in what you can handle. God does not tempt, it is written, but it is written that he tests our hearts, expecting what? God tests our hearts, expecting them to be approved. He is expecting you to pass a test. Now when the enemy, the tempter, comes to tempt, Jesus Christ is with you as a believer every single time by that promise of 1 Corinthians 10 that he will show you the way out every time. So you burn that truth into your spirit. You burn it into your mind. You write it on your heart. And whenever you're confronted with an option of temptation, you remember your training and you grab that verse and you speak it. You remember it. You replay it in your mind. You might speak it out loud and say, Jesus, show me the way out. You promised I'm believing your truth. And sure enough, the way opens up. And you'll find that it's true every time. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling. And this is how. And you may try and, and win some. You may try and fail. But the difference is once you have that revelation, you'll no longer perish for the temptations that used to grab you in the past. It is possible to remove that wicked impulse of the flesh, of the fallen nature permanently, from the human body, from the mind, the soul, from the sexual organs, all the impulses, the neurons, the connections between the brain, the soul, the heart, and the body. It is possible to prune them. By who? The master gardener of your soul. The gardener of your heart, of your heart of hearts. The gardener 
of what you are as a tree. I see all men as trees. To grow you up into maturity. To where those things that once tempted you in the past no longer even cause a spark of an impulse, of an impure thought to even cross your mind. Greater freedom than you've ever known. And it's available how? By proving faithful with what you've already been given. Today you've been given that revelation of 1 Corinthians 10. So now you have that gemstone. You have that seed of that word. Use it faithfully each and every time. And soon your armor, your shield will be upgraded. Your sword will be sharpened. And those things that once conquered you will now be under your feet. The whole world under your feet. All the enemies under your feet. Snakes and scorpions under your feet. And then you'll rise into the sun, over the sun, into higher heights. And even winged serpents will be under your feet. Until that day, and that day draws near, where the red dragon himself will be under your feet. And the seed of the woman will crush his head. Under his feet. promise of the heavenly Jerusalem. <clears throat> Jerusalem means city of peace. It's having peace above by overcoming the devil and his sins in our bodies. And so Christ is the way. The way of what? To overcome the devil and his sins. He's a sinner from the beginning. Every time he talks, he sins. Every time he does an action, he sins. So, it's getting undone from devils. Overcoming sin is literally the same as overcoming devils. All sins have devils behind them. 100% of the time. And a lot of them are so subtle, you don't even think they're sins. There's stuff, strongholds, that are unknown, especially if you're still in techno-Christianity, which over 99% of believers are. So the higher sins are all based on elevations of stuff you can't even face until you're raised up to a certain height. So he only requires of you today in hearing the word, don't harden your heart. So in hearing the word, when the word goes in, it cuts the sin out. So. It goes into the roots of our belief systems. That's why salvation comes by a teaching. When God came to earth, he was known as rabbi, which is the Hebrew word for teacher. So teaching is what removes sins, but not just hearing the teaching, getting an A and learning the teaching and having it transform the inner man to do the teaching. 
So the Word has the impartation of the divine nature to transfigure you into God's righteousness. Righteousness is an impartation of what? A teaching which is called the Gospel. The real Gospel always imparts God's ability to overcome sins. So you're never the same, you're not just left hearing about a message of being perfect, of a high and lofty ideal. That's not the Gospel, that's philosophy. The Gospel is an impartation of a living, breathing Word that came from a person in heaven that created the heavens and the earth and died on the cross for your sins. So when the Word goes in, there's a response in your spirit, confessing with your heart and your spirit that Jesus is Lord, then you are saved. How often? Daily. Salvation is a daily bread, a daily hearing and obeying with your heart. And your heart rises from the dead and becomes a partaker in the resurrection through teaching. I believe the, the Holy Spirit is highly highlighting the teaching that needs to come forth now to destroy the works of the devil. Understanding that the answer is in a teaching, but the response of the teaching of a living word mixed with the human spirit. So when it hits your spirit, what happens? Your heart is revealed. That's why people don't like divine teaching. They like human teaching. Why? There's no revealing of the heart. It doesn't reveal man's depravity. It doesn't reveal your sin nature. If the sin nature is not revealed in the teaching, you have yet to hear the actual gospel. If you can stay the same in your heart and not be manifest of all the curses of humanity in the heart, for the heart is wicked beyond knowing, and if the heart's wickedness is not known, you have yet to hear the gospel. The gospel reveals the wickedness of the heart and the salvation of Jesus as an impartation. Amen. That's why it's called knowing Him. Why did you need to know Him to be saved? It's not about the stuff. It's not even at that point about all the Christian works. It's about knowing Him because He Himself joined to your spirit is what gives you eternal life. His works are performed through your spirits just like they are the angels. That's why it's written of those who rise from the dead. They are the angel-like children of the resurrection. What does that mean? Ones in whom the divine nature can come through their spirits. When God can come forth through your spirit, He is the works. He is the resurrection. I am the resurrection, Jesus Christ proclaimed. I am the way, and I am the resurrection. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But it's not to leave us helpless as if we're just codependent on an external substance, an ether floating around in the sky. It's an intimate knowing. Notice the scripture says, salvation comes through an intimate knowing. So there's a reaction, an impartation in the knowing of the gospel. When the word goes in, the reaction of him mixed with your word is what transforms behavior. And the behavior itself that comes out of the word mixed with your spirit is divine. Jesus said his behavior was God the Father coming through his body. Why do you say, I do these things? It's not me, it's my Father doing them. But isn't that your body? That's not what Jesus said. 
Jesus said it was the Father using his body, and when the works of the Father came through him, even though they could only see him, he said that's what God is. God is the change of behavior that comes through the response of the gospel mixed with your spirit, which means your bodies will demonstrate the temple of God the Father progressively, and you'll understand the Father comes forth through your bodies as works, and those works are the revealing of the divine nature. Those who know or are intimate with God do great exploits. We say, well, I can do nothing. Well, it's Him that's the doing. So the renewed mind knows God as acts of the Holy Spirit. Fifth book of the New Testament. What is the acts? It's God present with us in the new covenant. You're looking at God. How do we rise from the dead? Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. And so when we read that book of Acts, we see Jesus as actions. The Holy Spirit is the actions through your bodies. What is the soaking? Usually just dealing with your woundedness. Is it God? It's God. What's more of God? Watching God work through the temple. What was the temple? Understand the wisdom of the Old Testament? For wisdom purposes, we have the Old Testament scriptures that is written. The temple was the place of continuous priesthood works. From morning to sunset, six days a week, priests, hundreds, thousands of priests worked at the incense, at the altar, burning, cutting, all kinds of wonderful continuous works, which it means the priesthood of the new covenant is a set of works that are not human anymore, but God the Father. That's what we're maturing into. The works of the Father that are divine through the same bodies you're currently living in. So the temptations of the devil is to get your body into any other work that's not the Father emanating through those bodies. It requires the flesh to sin. Because it's just in thought form. You can burn those thoughts. They're arrows. That seed that the devil sows into the hearts of the soil of the spirit, you can burn that seed. Doesn't mean you have to perform the actions of the temptations of the evil one, for God provides a way out. What's the way out? A door of fire that burns his words, that puts your bodies into a certain actions, leaving the way of truth. Nobody can leave the way of truth after being born again, unless they're led by the words of the devil. So the way out is burning those words, cherishing God's words, and you will reveal your hearts and you will go astray in your thought life. No one has ever been perfect after they're born again. Even the Apostle Paul, Galatians chapter 4, he's already in apostolic ministry, saving the whole planet, and he says, I preached to you in the infirmity of the flesh at the first. Which means I gave you carnal Christianity. Sorry about that. It's written in the Word. Paul humbling himself, giving a testimony of how he was a terrible ministry, a minister when he started ministry. But most terrible ministries <laughs> like to quote him only from his time where he thought he had terrible ministry. There's a humility of understanding the progressive yielding of the body to do the greater works of the Father until he can say, follow me as I follow Christ. What does that mean? 
the divine nature is working in me. If you follow my physical body, that's what the Apostle Paul said, if you're following my flesh, you'll meet up with God. The Acts of the Apostles. If you're following the Acts of the flesh of the Apostles, they'll introduce you into the manifest presence of the one true God. Written in the Word, now. Amen. So it's like, oh, we don't follow man. Well, you never follow God unless God's only inside man and woman. <laughs> you know? That's what carnal Christians say. We don't follow man. We're not following man. Well, the God-man is anyone who's had a renewed mind and a sanctified heart. If God's not in you, we're lifeless. <clears throat> You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. You better have the divine nature formed in you. And anyone in whom the divine nature is formed is following God and doing God's works as a demonstration of what? A living epistle, which is an impartation of God the Father through words. And when you hear the words, what does it do? Transforms behavior. So when I see the behavior is not transformed, I know you've rejected the Word of God, and you're not married to the Word of God, and the Word of God is not being produced in your spirit, and you're hearers only and not doers. Which means repent, open your hearts, humble your hearts, and hearing the Word of God, don't harden the soil of your spirit. Make room for the Word of God. Get out of your own opinions. Get out of arguments and debates and theologies and doctrines of men and demons. And hear today's fresh word from the mountaintop. And let it bear its fruit in your spirit. You know why people don't transform? Because they've never allowed the word to change their hearts. <laughs> so, even though a lot of things get exposed as you walk with him along the way, didn't our hearts burn within us? Well, a burning of a heart is going to expose the heart. The heart's going to burn. It's going to be blood, fire, and billows of smoke. When you walk with Jesus Christ, the living, breathing Word of God, there'll be blood, fire, and billows of smoke from your heart. You're the burnt offering. You're the animal sacrifice. This is the new covenant. We burn the mark of the beast or the animal in our forehead, which is the mark of being a human being, the mark of our humanity. That's our daily offering. What did you offer God today? Your humanity. That's all He asks you to offer. He knows you don't have the divine nature in your humanity. That's why he became the sin offering. The Lamb of God imparts divinity into you. Our job is to burn our humanity by giving it to God. He has an altar before his throne in the New Covenant book of Revelation. For what? The mark of our humanity in our head and our hand. If we offer our head and our hand to the fire, he will offer himself into our bodies and we will perform His works in covenant. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> Cats love it, man. Creation responding back there. Wow, meow, meow. Oh, I know that meow. <laughs> I think the cats both got saved. Oh, yeah, let's talk about what the cats brought to the altar. If you saw, maybe you saw it on Facebook today. I was so proud. Both of our cats brought the full bull offering or in this case the full fuzzy ducky offering they brought their what are they what would you want to call those their uh, their favorite toy of all time and they both brought it up to the altar the stage here and dropped it off in the front it's got it i mean it's it's the catnip fuzzy ducky toy 
They gave their all. They literally gave all That's they had. That's probably why they're getting a fresh baptism of fire down Yeah, there, they look this the happiest day of their life. <laughs> oh, speaking of which, we, today is the last day, isn't it? To give into it's the... It's the last day of the orphanage. Here's the picture. Orphanage outreach. You guys want us to give into it? Well, we're always doing new things. It but felt like a sign and wonder with the fuzzy duckies because, I mean... That's a pretty tremendous sign for both cats to bring their fuzzy duckies to the front, to the altar, uh, as a sacrifice. There was a double portion. I believe on this final day, there is a, there's like an overflow, a double portion, a double portion glory for those giving on the final day. So may it come back to you, double. I'll just tell you, I get to see all the offerings come in for God and to God. And sometimes when they come in, I can feel it touch God's heart. I'm like, whoa. And it's so holy, you guys. So it's just such a privilege to see people touch God's heart through sacrificial financial offerings. And there are many people starting to get it and understand it and feel it and become sensitive to the heart of Amen. God through sacrifice and offerings. Amen. Amen. That's the whole point. So when your heart belongs to God, the Bible says you're cheerful givers. A lot of people's hearts, guys, a lot of Christians' hearts don't belong to God. I have watched people continuously harden their hearts unto God, and they never bring sacrifices ever, ever again. You know, you cannot even be a Christian unless you're giving offerings of your heart, your spirit, your soul, your mind, your time, and your money to God. If you're not giving your money to God, you are totally backslidden. That's not even an, that's not even questionable. You are far from God if your money is not being offered to God. That is a biblical principle, and you'd be surprised how many Christians have not given their finances entirely to the Lord. And you, it's not like he's just wanting you to be poor. He wants you to be rich. He wants you to be free in the glory with his abilities flowing through you like rivers, with no lack, with no bondage, with no fear. The main thing is not only just to advance the kingdom, it's not just to get you free from the love of money and, and greed and covetousness and all your sins regarding Right, it's not just money. all about you. No, no. It's about the Father. It's about, there is a huge aspect of it for the works of the priests. That's why offerings and sacrifices, they do tons of different stuff. You can see the offerings of Cornelius, they fed the poor, they built new houses for orphans. Mm -hmm. Okay, wait, hold on. There's like seven different things going on here when Cornelius gives money to what God's doing. Now just understand this because it will set you free and get delivered. Because you guys need deliverance, I can just see. Get the, rev the revelation and the wisdom of what's going on here and how everything works. And then it won't be like any bondage in any area of your life. You'll be free to flow in the glory to do the works of God. Cornelius was giving such generous offerings that it moved the angels to bring dreams to the apostles. It not only brought the angels to earth, it brought the apostles to different locations to baptize human beings in the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, and it fed and clothed the poor. So it did all kinds of stuff in the realm of the natural. It fed people, it clothed people, 
It built buildings that people need so they're not out there in the elements freezing to death. It paid electric bills, no doubt about it. It bought uh, wood for furnaces. It, it bought all kinds of stuff. In the natural realm, it, it advanced God, God's kingdom. You need to understand the value of that. And in the spiritual realm, it also advanced God's kingdom. So there's two different realms that advance through sacrifice and offerings. It's not just one, it's a whole bunch of stuff that moves the kingdom forward through sacrifice. And it's a wonderful thing if you can get it. Angels moving, apostles moving, the Holy Spirit moving. How was the Holy Spirit moved? The Bible tells you through what people did with money. Right? We want to say, you can tell the devil's all inside Christianity when you clearly quote the book of Acts and people, you can just feel that stuff out there. And there's some in here, but it's mostly out there where people have not yet come to grips with the revelations of how to use the natural realm to advance the kingdom. As below, so above. Building Jerusalem below also simultaneously built Jerusalem above. You know what heresy has filled modern-day charismatic Christianity? The heresy of Gnosticism. Mm -hmm. The natural realm is spiritual. Okay, just because you can see it doesn't mean it's not spiritual. Mm -hmm. This is a spiritual desk. This is a spiritual microphone. Problem is religion, it separates the natural from the spiritual and says spiritual is good, good in God, and the natural is bad in the devil. That's a lie. The earth, or the natural realm, is God's, the fullness thereof. That's what the Bible says. Mm -hmm. That's how sorcerers control dogs with that kind of thinking. Religion is the most destructive teaching that says natural bad. They'll even say money bad. You say it. Money's bad. They'll say natural bad. The flesh is bad. Jesus had flesh. His flesh is what saved your souls from hell. Clearly not bad. <laughs> now, I had to overcome the same thing. I used to have that same mentality. So I'll share. This, is, this helped me kind of get over that. You know, how do you go from being in that captivity mindset that you know maybe you're raised in like I was raised in it I grew up in it it's just it's it's ingrained you're like how do I change I know what you're saying is true Brandon but how do I change that one of these little revelations like I said that's how sorcerers control their dogs when the Lord showed me how the enemy uses that mindset to keep people in captivity uh, I would get angry when I would see that in my own nature and I would just get angry that no I'm not gonna be any sorcerer's dog I mean, just let it get you a little mad. I'm not going to be used of Satan. I'm not going to be like some dumb animal dog full of a pile of their sins because this is how this is how sorcery works. In the realm, in the era of common grace, that's a term that was used by Bob Jones. We're coming out of the era of common grace. We're coming into this, the kingdom age. It's uncommon grace. That era of common grace, this is how it works. How do you think sorcerers are fine? Very little, like, especially the, you know, the really elite ones. They look good. They're healthy. They have money. It's no problem. They give billions. They give thousands. Yeah. They give millions to philanthropy. But they're still wicked. Do you see what I'm saying? How is it that they have an easier wicked time with givers. these? How is wicked, it? Wicked, generous givers. Yeah, they are wicked. They're generous. How is it it's easier for them? Well, you might say, oh, it's because they have a lot of money. That's not true. Even when they were kind of up and coming, uh, when they were forming, they knew that principle. 
So they might be wicked men, but they understand the way everything works. But here's when when sorcerers go up. This is true of Christian sorcerers and non-Christian sorcerers. When they rise in unrighteousness, whether it's Christian or non-Christian, what they do is they might rise above a certain demonic realm to a higher demon. So that lower demon comes off of them and it goes and attaches to someone who's now below them. And that's unrighteous rising. We see that in Christianity a lot. So what happens is you sur if you're around people practicing sorcery uh, in Christianity or, or non-Christians, you become their dumpster. Your soul becomes their personal dumpster for their sins and their demons. They go up through sorcery to a higher ranking demon and those things through contracts come off of them or if it's a true Christian and they get freedom but they're still not in righteousness because you know earthly Christianity they use your soul as a dumpster let that irritate and offend you and get you angry a we little call bit call them golems and and so you just got sometimes you just got to get angry and say no I'm not going to be someone's dumpster for their demons for their sewage um, don't be a don't be a you know a, a sewage pile for your own stuff either Right? It's not just about blaming others. Well, what do you do? You have to keep rising in righteousness. Righteousness is the only thing that raises a standard against both Christian and non-Christian sorcery. Yeah. Forgive the Christians who've done that to you, by the way, who've demonized you through manipulation, through control spirits, through putting you down and lifting themselves up. Forgive them, wash them, and then when you kick that stuff out of you, do everyone a favor, bind it in chains, burn it, throw it in the lake of fire. And refuse to be sorcerer's dogs. Refuse to be a dumpster for someone's garbage. That's not what you're created to be. Now, why are you allowing them to do that to you? That's the next question you have to ask yourself. Why are all these things so difficult? All this, you know, poverty mindset, difficult to give, and all these demon possessions. We gotta go higher. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Apart from him, I can do nothing. So make the choice Shabba. to agree with the truth. Where your money is, there your heart will be also. Best thing you can give into is cosmic righteousness. Obedience to the word of God. You talk to God, you get the number, you do it, that's it. Whatever God puts on your heart to do it, you do the study. You obey the holy angels assigned to you. You obey the Holy Spirit. And you walk on sapphire stones, just like we've taught you how to rise. In the master class, if you didn't get it, go back, do it again. Every season, those things open up to a greater degree. And as you rise, they can't do that to you anymore. You're no longer bearing the image of dogs, birds, reptiles, beasts, but the holy angels. Don't let the enemy do that to you. You are more valuable than that. You are more precious than that thing they tried to put on you. Bring the holy donations. Bring your mind, opinions, and all those things that we've experienced so far. 
<laughs> to the altar. That's why scripture says work for the Lord and not for men, which means <laughs> if you're working for the Lord, you clearly tithe to the Lord. Anyone working for the Lord loves giving to the Lord because they're working for the Lord. They understand the purposes of working. Anyone who doesn't work should not eat because they're not advancing the kingdom. They're not growing as Christians. A lot of these principles and discipleship foundations are missing from modern Christianity. And a lot of people think they're in a right standing with God. But I tell you what, they're not. You know, like Revelation chapter 3, you think you're in right standing with God. You think you're well clothed. You think you got good teaching and you're okay. But Jesus Christ says you're pitiful, poor, wretched, blind, and naked. I counsel... So all those conditions are revealed by the mouth of Jesus Christ in Revelation 3, but he only gives them one advice. It's not like all these other things. He didn't say other clothes. He didn't say uh, anything else. He said one thing, buy vision. The reason why you're so blind, pitiful, wretched, poor, and naked, Jesus Christ, red letters, because you don't see clearly, you need to purchase ISAB, which is the anointing of the seer, seer anointing. Purchase ISAB, it is written. So the ISAB does away with Christian nakedness, which means you're not clothed in celestial glory, you have no understanding of how to be clothed in the cloud of God's glory or the garments of the celestial realm. There's no cosmic ability there's no angelic ability through the clothing so the head and the hand of the mark of the beast is nakedness what is the mark of the beast naked self-clothed which means no angelic divine ability at all in fact you don't even know how to get it you don't know what it is you've never learned it jesus christ says buy it what is buy it learning how to work for god make sacrifices anyone not doing that can never grow in god because God's not even their master yet. They got all these optional things out here. They listen to human beings. They don't listen or revere the word of God. They've denied the gospel. Doesn't mean that they're eternally doomed, but their growth is stunted for that season. That's why most cr Christians wander in the wilderness mm, for years. Another time. How many Christians wander in the wilderness? Most. Why? Because they're not willing to change or do anything different. Mm -hmm. And when we do things different, honestly, most people that begin to actually do things different, they don't do it from their spirit. So they don't grow in God-inside-mindedness, mm -hmm. so it doesn't even have eternal benefit. Which means we preach to awaken spirit hearts. And then Christ be fully formed in your spirit through all the changing of behavior in response to the teaching of the Word of God. Mm. So it has eternal value. That this isn't just some kind of new fad, this new fringe. This is for eternal life. Enoch taught eternal life to the people. Okay, We're going to teach eternal life. And even though it's impossible for the human being, what's impossible for the human is easy for God. And you have God and he's not far from you. He's closer than the air you breathe. What you need is faith. How do you get faith? To know God closer than the air you breathe, than the next beat inside your chest and your heart? Faith comes by hearing. So let our ears be unstopped to hear the word of God for an impartation of the divine nature to awaken our spirit man 
into spirit man ability. So there's a number of things going on here. I want you to understand God is raising and fathering your spirit through constant teaching and discipleship of the fivefold into the perfection of faith. And we say, oh, the perfection of faith. I'll tell you what the perfection of faith is. The perfection of the inner man and the invisibility of the outer man. Until you don't know anyone after their outer man. In fact, you can't even see the outer man because they're transfigured. What is perfection? The perfection of the heart. Uh, the perfection of Jesus Christ formed in your spirit and your outer man goes invisible and you change forms. Which means no one has perfection of faith until they shape shift. Truth anyhow, Jesus Christ changing his forms continuously in his resurrection form. Everyone that had been with him for three years didn't even know who he was. This is really interesting. That's good revelation for cosmic righteousness. The spirit has the ability and righteousness uh, to shape shift and form and to gel. Uh, but it doesn't, it's not quite there. It's, it's lacking somewhat in the soul and then it's lacking in the body. Which is really interesting because, you know, some of you already know this, you know, you have demonic shapeshifters in the occult, through demon contracts, and they use their, they can use their bodies through that external stolen grace. Now, a quick shapeshifting testimony. I went with the Holy Spirit uh, out of body to, um, to Africa, to Nairobi. We were going to go check out to see how the hearts of the people were doing. And, man, this is so wild because, uh, uh, he took my, my spirit, left my body. My body stayed at home. But my spirit went to Africa, to Nairobi, with the Holy Spirit. And my spirit took on physical flesh form. So, you know, like when angels appear, and they it's a person, they might be wearing a hat, a whole outfit. They might hand you something like, you know, people have seen angels, they handed them money. Or like, or they'll, you know, be hitchhikers on the side of the road, get in the car, um, I was watching a Ruth Heflin sermon this week, and they had someone had an experience where an angel was hitchhiking, got into the car, go down the road, and they start talking to them about all these things, spiritual things, and they talk about Jesus, Jesus coming, and then just like that, they disappear. So the people, one of the guys, went to go talk to the cops, to the police station. Oh my gosh, this happened, you know? It was like, and they disappeared, and they're like. He's like, sir, you're like the 52nd person to tell me this. It's so common, even back then. You might not see it on the nightly news, but angels, you know, be careful how you treat strangers because you might be entertaining angels unawares. And uh, Ruth Heflin said, because her mom, her mom, precious, her precious mom, Ruth Heflin's mom, <laughs> had an encounter with an angel, and she loved talking about heavenly things and hearing stories of saints who've been to heaven and all the place when the children, if the children die when they're kids, when they die when they're young, they have the toy rooms in heaven and they get to pick out their favorite toys and they get to be raised in heaven and everything's just so special for them. Just a perfect father. I mean, they get to have, live out a perfect childhood in heaven. And, and just the comfort of that, all these precious things of God but these things are, are, are so the common. The precious things are coming. <laughs> the precious things of heaven are the coming. The fluffy duckies above him. <laughs> 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 oh, 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 oh. 
<laughs> oh man I like it um, so I went with the Holy Spirit out of body my spirit now I was walking in cosmic righteousness right and uh, yeah so he took me to Nairobi Kenya out of body but my spirit took on flesh like the angels who appear as humans and when I looked at my skin I was black <laughs> I was a, like a Kenyan woman short hair that short you know real short like curly hair of course it was dyed blonde you know <laughs> and <laughs> <laughs> I had gold necklaces, Amen. beautiful colored outfit, and I walked, and I could speak the local language. Now your spirit, mm -hmm. and that kind of surprised me. I, I could, I was speaking the local language. I was speaking in Swahili, and when they spoke it to me, I could understand what they said. So bizarre. It, the mind can't quite comprehend these things, but when you're in your spirit, apart from the limitations of the flesh. These things come easily to you. It's almost instinctual. It's not like this. And, and and it's freedom. And just interacting with the people, seeing where their hearts are at. And it was beautiful. And I came to a place near a tree, and I looked around to make sure no one was watching. And my spirit shapeshifted from a woman, a Kenyan woman, into a white dove. I just saw the angel flash. Jordan's angel is going nuts this week. Hey. <laughs> flash. There you go. He's like, oh, come on, let's go. Let's go on. A, just say that to the Lord when you go to sleep tonight. Holy Spirit, I want to go on adventures with you. And just see what happens. But uh, So I changed into a bird. Don't ask me how. I couldn't explain it to you. Things are in the spirit. Into a white dove. And I flew to the top of this tree and when I described the street, the tree, the lane, and the person, I followed a person. Now when I told this all to our friend Shadrach, who's in Nairobi, Kenya, he knew exactly the place I was describing and exactly the person and I spied on them. <laughs> I was just, hey, because what do they say? Be careful, don't curse the king even in your thoughts. Or a little bird will go and carry it away. There's a word for somebody. That happens in Yetzirah. But I followed this person and I saw their ways, their behaviors. And yes, some sin. But when I described it to the man of God, he knew exactly who and what I was talking about and said everything, the place, the person, and those behaviors, those are true. God does things outside of our box. So, do we go and make up a shape-shifting bird doctrine and teach that? No. Here is the living God who created the heavens and the earth. Follow him. Do what he do everything. What did Jesus' mother, the wisdom of Jesus' mom, do everything exactly how he tells you to do it. Mm. And don't delay. That's a good one. Applying that today, stating that wedding ceremony by how 
doing everything Jesus tells you to do. (laughs) That's staying in the promised land. Amen. Glory. The bread. The bread, the bread, the bread. They say the bread is the money. The breadwinner of the family. Making bread. Making that bread. Best thing since sliced bread. Man cannot live on bread alone. Well, the bread of the presence continually before him. If you study it out in Jewish history, they talk about how the bread protected the priests. You could not eat of that bread until you exactly changed out the old bread and put the new ones right there. So there's no time delay, just like that. Twelve loaves. Twelve loaves. Now, hmm. Oh, man. But when they would eat that bread, it protected them from the impulse of the flesh. That wicked impulse of sexual immorality that comes up through the bowels. Because it has to do with the presence of food. Why does fasting burn out lust? It has to do with the intestines and the genitals. Right? That connection in the spirit. So when you starve that out, it burns. So if you struggle with sexual immorality, fasting and praying is amazing. But even more importantly than that, That'll help you. You're going to need the bread of the presence. The heavenly priesthood. Study the scriptures to show yourself approved. The bread of the presence. What are the requirements? What do you have to, what kind of person do you have to be? The teaching goes into the flesh. So the impulse of the flesh is terminated. The reason why fasting can be so profitable is because the word of God in your spirit is made flesh. So the behavior and the impulses and the temptations of the evil one, even crooked, wormy DNA, with you know your parents' sins passed down into your DNA, are burnt out. And now God's word, which is God's DNA, is burned in. So the behavior is transformed. Jesus warned them, Watch out! Guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. The disciples talked this over and said to each other, He must be saying this because we don't have any bread. Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you talking about not having any bread? Don't you understand? Are your minds still closed? Are your eyes blind and your ears deaf? Don't you remember? How many baskets of leftovers you picked up when I fed those 5,000 people with only five small loaves of bread? Yes, the disciples answered. There were 12 baskets. Mm. There were 12 loaves (laughs) and the bread of the presence. But Jesus brought in a new era of 12 baskets. Mm. 12 out of the five. (laughs) Through the seven. Then Jesus then asked, And how many baskets of leftovers did you pick up when I broke seven small loaves? of bread for those 4,000 people. Seven, they answered. Don't you know what I'm talking about by now? Jesus asked. Eat my flesh and drink his blood. Drink his blood. 
other words, isn't your spirit man intelligent yet in taking over your brain? Because to them, they were still hearing in the realm of just their, their outer man. Do you not yet understand my teachings are for the building up the inner man to be like God, which is called prophecy and wisdom? So now, when we have the Holy Spirit, we have wisdom, and we have the prophetic speech, which is the living Word of God, so that all the mysteries of the Scripture are not just written in a tablet here, but they're alive and active and understood, releasing energy in our eternal spirit. When you understand something, your spirit releases the light of it, and the color of it, which is the freedom of it and the action of it. So the words made flesh and your living epistles read of all men because God's word is written on your hearts and upon your minds, which means that your whole being is emanating the person of God. Through what? Teaching. First mention of bread in the Bible, Genesis 3.19. Amplified. By the sweat of your face, you will eat bread until you return to the ground. For from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. What did Jesus do with those twelve baskets, those seven baskets, the seven and the twelve? By the five, it's a transfiguration of the flesh. What is the end result? He is the end of that time of eating bread by the sweat of your face. He entered the rest. He is the rest. What did Bob Jones say this generation would do that others haven't? Enter his rest. When are we going to move from the written letter of the New Testament law to the living word of God, the words of Jesus Christ, the red letters of Jesus Christ, the red letter ministry of Jesus Christ, alive, inscribed within us. I'll give you a new heart. He'll give you a holy soul, a new soul. What were those writings the Jewish sages talked about? How could one merit that holy soul? Undeserved, unmerited grace of Jesus to enter the rest, to be made holy as he is holy, not just in theory, not just in the spirit, and the body perishes and the spirit returns to its maker, but a greater salvation, a transformation, an inner transformation that consumes the exterior. What is the Feast of Tabernacles? What is the true temple that is to be built? 
if you're looking for a building to be erected that could contain what he's planning to pour out, you will be sorely disappointed. There is a building going on in the second heavens. Whatever is bound or built or loosed above will be done below. What does that inner temple correspond to? You'll find out as you go up on sapphire stones. Building the cosmic people through teachings of the resurrection. Notice they called him rabbi during his earthly life, but in the resurrection he was called a different title, Rabboni, which is the Grand Master. He went from Master Teacher to Grand Master Teacher because the teaching of the resurrection is Rabboni. It's grander. It's greater. It's the, the revelation of ascension and going up into the cosmic inheritance to rule over the earth with Christ for a thousand years in the realm of the overcomers. And that's the most important thing that we bring forth the Rabboni, or teaching, of the resurrection. How to do it, how to hear it, how to obey it, how to rise, how to be aware of it, and to really pay attention to the subtleties, not of the enemy, but the subtleties of the inner elevations, because we often overlook them because we're looking for a big bang on the outside or something, you know, in our carnal senses. But God was often in the still small voice, in the subtleties. And you can have tremendous growth in your inner man and outwardly doesn't have big, huge fireworks. But there's elevations. You can go stand on the moon, literally be standing on the moon with your spirit and just be looking at your outside body and is like, am I different? Because your brain often does not recognize the change in your heart, but it's just the stillness of understanding the value of your spirit responding to the word and your mind will renew to it and you'll see visions into that place. That's purchasing ISAB so you can see, which is where your spirit is and how your spirit's changing by the gospel, the word of God, and putting no value or attention on the flesh, it is written, which means less judging by the outside, more judging by the heart. Then you begin to see accurately where a person's spirit is, oftentimes in heavenly places, doing heavenly activities, getting heavenly downloads, learning how to follow Jesus more accurately, and going from that rabbi to rabboni, which is revelations of resurrection. Give us revelations of resurrection and allow the people to hear it and listen and obey it and bear its fruit in Jesus' name. This generation is the generation of the resurrection, which means the teaching is going to be far more advanced and mystical. The word mystical really is a reference to the second heavens. 
So it's going to be completely mystical. Completely second heavens. Because mm -hmm. that's the promised land for your spirit, mm -hmm. soul, and body. Completely those two hidden books of Torah. Because on those two hang all of the law and the prophets. Those two of the seven. Now, when you're looking at Jesus, I'll give you a quick mystery here to ponder. So you can have something to chew on over the weekend. Get it? Rabona. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> five loaves and then seven loaves. The first five loaves were also seven loaves. Did you know that? How were the five seven? He said, five loaves and two fish. What loaves of bread were those two fish? What was the Hebrew letter that means fish, that represents a fish? The nun, or the noon, however you want to pronounce it. We'll get more accurate in our pronunciation, yep, hopefully. for the mature. Those were those hidden two books of Torah, which are marked in Exodus, or Numbers. Numbers or Exodus? I believe it's Numbers. We'll get more accurate in our, our memories. Those two books, marked by those two inverted nuns, Joshua, son of Nun, Yeshua, son of the living word that impregnated Mary by the cloud that overshadowed her. The five loaves and the two fish. Seven loaves and seven loaves. How many did they feed? The bread of his presence. Well, the seven and the five that grant the twelve baskets. You have the written word of God. You have the spoken word of God given to Moses. Given to you as you rise on sapphire stones as Moses went up on sapphire stones. And you get to know him, the word himself. And that meat will sustain your spirit. Sanctify and circumcise your soul, your spirit, your soul, and the mind of the flesh. Mysteries, you'll enter his rest by consuming it. The bread of the presence was inside the tabernacle. Continually before him, always twelve. Never more, never less. And by faith, you can access those realms and eat. He has prepared a feast for you in the presence. Hmm. I think you have something to show us today. Yeah, do you want to share your verse? Right. Oh yeah, while well, you grab the... Yeah. We have a verse on All right, check this out. The Holy we'll present Spirit. this. 
The Holy Spirit highlighted a verse I'm giving. This is uh, for RLM Africa. For everyone that gave this week, we present RLM Africa with a check for $5,555.55. All right. Amen. And we're going to do wonders for the orphans. Look forward to seeing all of that. There'll be videos and, and photos and celebrations and rejoicing amongst the orphans and the, the two orphanages. God just bless them, blast them with the Holy Ghost, fill those kids with the glory, and just flood them, raise them up to be strong ministers and disciples of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, for each one of those souls that will be touched by these offerings for the orphanages in Nairobi, Kenya, and all the works that Shadrach and his team and our team over there are going to do. Bless them, let the angels lead them, let there be signs, miracles, and wonders, and a lot of people growing in the glory, and even developing the gospel that's in Kenya to a much higher celestial and angelic gospel in that nation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Psalm 41. Blessed, happy, fortunate to be envied is he who considers the weak and the poor. <laughs> the Lord will deliver him in the time of evil and trouble. The Lord will protect him and keep him alive. He shall be called blessed in the land, and you will not deliver him to the will of his enemies. Amen. Let those two verses be true of you, all who are giving into this, and let that double portion of those two fish be a blessing to those who give who give cheerfully who give obediently be blessed we love you very much and we'll see you next time see you Tuesday
Life and death is something you're familiar.